Now, Jackie Lynham turned 50 at the end of the last year and has a plan to mark this very important year with, for all, well, for many varieties of, of reasons. Jackie, good morning to you. Morning, Shay. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you. How are, well, you normally hear me in the mornings. Very early in the mornings, myself and Lillian on Rising Time. That's so now, right, big fan of Rising so Time. So you get the disappointment to see me in the flesh. Uh, not at all, <laughs> delighted to see you. <laughs> you put out a tweet uh, before you were 50 and you wanted to, people to maybe suggest some things to do. 50 things to do at 50. So tell me about that. Yeah, so last year I had a big ambition, which was to publish my own writing. Um, and I wanted to do that before I turned 50. So at the end of September, I published a book called Traces, which is poems and essays. So that was like a big ambition. But this year I want to do things a little bit differently. I want to do quieter things. And for different reasons, I'm having a quieter year this year. Um, so I had an idea that I would do one thing a week for the year. So sort of 50 ways to celebrate being 50. But these are things I want to do that bring me joy. So I know at this time of the year, people have their New Year resolutions and their to-do list and things they feel they should be doing. But this is not things I feel I ought to be doing. These are things I really want to do. So things that would bring me joy. But my budget is tiny, Shay. So I'm um, looking for free things, things that cost maybe 15 euro. So going to, I love culture. I'm a big culture fan. Anything music, film, theatre, books. So I was thinking of places I could go and that's why I put out the call on Twitter for some suggestions. I had a few suggestions myself, but I thought, you know, it's always a good yeah. idea to get other people's ideas. So what, what kind of suggestions did you get back? OK, well, um, my friend Rose suggested going to the Hugh Lane Gallery. They do free concerts at, at lunchtime on Sundays. Seemingly they book up very quickly, so I'm hoping I'll be able to bag a ticket for is, one of those. In Dublin, yeah. In Dublin, yeah. So I'm based in Dublin. Um, now, I work for Dublin City Library, so I'm well aware that that's, there's loads of free events all the time going on in the city and around the country. Libraries are brilliant for that. So I'm looking for other cultural institutions that are having free or cheap events. So I bought tickets for the Abbey Theatre. They do 15 euro tickets for every performance oh. of their plays. There's always a certain number of cheap tickets going sale, so I'm going to see the queer fella, um, Brendan Behan's play. That looks amazing, yeah. I yeah, heard well, seemingly, there's a rumour in our family that we're related to Brendan Behan somehow. My mum is a Bean, and we're convinced somewhere along the line we're related. So I I know his um, it was his anniversary last year, and I meant to delve a bit more into that, but I didn't get a chance. But anyway, I'm going to see that. Um, myself and my husband are going to do a Gershwin um, Blue, Rhapsody in Blue 100 years in the National Concert Hall that I heard advertised on the radio and normally those tickets would probably be quite expensive when, but when I looked it up there were 15 euro tickets available so I bagged two of them um, and I started off last week actually with on Saturday and was my first 50 at 50 idea I went to see Mary Coughlin and Maria Doyle Kennedy at a Nullick Naman event in the North Strand Church and that was amazing. So that was a great start. So my expectations are high now. But even though I'm on a small budget, I'm expecting to do some uh, great things. Any this plans year. for outside Dublin? Um, well, now you see, my budget is 50 euro a month. So it'll depend if I can get somebody will transport me outside Dublin for free. Maybe yeah. you got the train to Wexford. No, I did that a few years ago and I absolutely loved it. And I did it on my own. And that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. I'm not really looking to do everything with people. I'm actually trying to do things on my own this year because I don't really want to consult anybody about this. I know that sounds quite selfish, no. but it's not for selfish reasons. When it's you're married, you need to have to explain everything that you do. <laughs> you know, I mean, in fairness, that's the way it works. But. Well, I love spending time with people. I have great friends and great family and great husband and I will be doing some of these things with them. But I want to do things that um, bring me joy and that I don't really have to consult everybody else about. Um, so that might be going to the cinema on a Tuesday afternoon on my own to see a film that nobody else wants to see. Or going to Beauty's Cafe on a Monday when it's raining outside and bringing my book with me. 
Oh, yeah. I'm going to a park. Um, there's loads of great parks in Dublin and I'm lucky to live near a few of them. St. Catherine's Park and Lucan and the Phoenix Park. But I might try and delve over to this side of the city a bit more, maybe the south side. There's loads to offer. Loads yeah. to offer. I'm from the north side, so I, I, I like I like both sides. And what's the family situation at home? How many is there? Are there children? Yes, yeah, so I have three children. Um, I have a son who's 20, a daughter who's 17 and my youngest daughter is 14. OK, so that gives you a little a little more freedom. My kids are around the same age. So you have a little, little yeah, more freedom. Yeah, a bit yeah. more time to myself now. As you, as you, as you journey there. 51551, by the way, 9 at rt.ie. Any suggestions uh, for Jackie? You turned 50 when? 30th of December, so I'm just a little bit over a week into this new decade of my life. So. And ha- how's it been? Has it seen massive changes in your life? No, not so far, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy to be here at this stage. I know some people don't like getting older, but to be honest with you, you're either getting older or you're dead. So <laughs> I'm happy to be here and just making the most of life. Um, I've got a, a great life and I'm happy to... Yeah, just do some nice things this year just to make it a little bit better. Did you have the proverbial big party, the big the big five O party? No, I didn't. You know what? Because I had a launch for my book in um, October in Pierce Street Library and that was like a big night out and it was brilliant. But I didn't really get a chance to talk to people. And I, I'm sort of one of these people that likes to have good chats, you know. So I like to talk to just one or two people at a time and have a proper conversation so I had a little gathering in my kitchen with some of my closest friends and my sister. Oh, that sounds right. It was lovely. It was exactly what I wanted. We had the karaoke machine on. We were dancing around the kitchen and just having a bit of a laugh. There's a, a text in that says uh, that, that we heard um, heard your piece on Sunday Miscellany, Jackie's piece on Sunday Miscellany. Did you have a piece on Sunday Miscellany? I did. I've actually had five pieces oh, on Sunday well, Miscellany. I do, do apologise. <laughs> five? Yeah, That's so I, I came quite late to writing. I only started writing in my 40s and a good friend of mine, Aoife Barry, had a piece on Sunday Miscellany and that inspired me to send in a few pieces myself. And I was very lucky that, um, I think it was the second piece I sent in, it was about the Hollis Flowers, about blagging my way into the National Concert Hall years ago when I was a teenager to try and get in to meet them because I wanted to interview them for my school magazine. So I wrote a piece about that and Sarah Vinci, who is the producer, the brilliant producer of Sunday Miscellany, liked it and invited me in to record it. And she was so encouraging that day when I was leaving the studio. She said to me, should we see you again? And I was like, oh, really, will you? And she said, yeah, of course, keep sending in pieces. We're always looking for new voices. So I did and I've had four, uh, five now and actually I had an amazing experience um, last year because I wrote a piece about having a December birthday. And that was chosen to be included in the Christmas show in the National Concert Hall. So I got to stand up in front of a sold out National Concert Hall to read my piece. And then the amazing RTE orchestra followed with their music. And it was just fabulous. And my mother was there and my, and my husband and kids. And it was just an amazing experience. That's real bucket list stuff, isn't it? It really was. It was just incredible. And I was surrounded by lovely people that were taking part with me and... Yeah, and I've, uh, I was able to include those Sunday miscellany pieces in the book. So I've collated them all together. So I have some poems, some newspaper articles about health issues and my dad having Alzheimer's disease. And then lighter pieces, the Sunday miscellany pieces are lighter and they're all together in, in that collection traces. In your everyday life as a librarian, you're surrounded by books. And, and have you studied writing or did you just decide one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a pen and paper or a laptop and I'm going to start writing? No, I didn't study writing. I mean, I would have been interested in it as a teenager, but I think I worked for 10 years in my library job in the Dublin UNESCO City of Literature office. 
Um, my dream job, I just got so lucky to be assigned there. I absolutely adored it. I was organising events such as One Dublin, One Book and children's reading campaigns and I worked a little bit on the Dublin History Award. So I was surrounded by writers for 10 years and I suppose some of that just seeped in. And after I turned 40, I had a lot of thoughts in my head um, that were sort of building up from my 30s about motherhood, grief for my dad who had died from Alzheimer's disease. And I just wanted to find an outlet for them. And it was just for myself. I started writing for myself. I did that for a couple of years, just literally typing, bought a very cheap laptop and started typing into it. But then one day I was going through my phone, just scrolling and came across some notes after a, a medical appointment. And out of nowhere, somewhere magic, I don't know where it came from, this creative uh, rain it came down and I notes these, these notes appeared, these words appeared. And I just typed them into the phone and I realised then I'd written a poem, which I'd never done before. I wouldn't have said I was even that hugely interested in poetry. And what I did was I went back to some of those things that I'd written down and started shaping them into poems. And I got really good encouragement from some really close friends of mine who encouraged me to keep writing and they read them. And I started entering competitions and some of those poems were shortlisted for competitions. Some of them were published in journals and anthologies and I just kept going with it and then I started writing the non-fiction pieces and there was a couple of articles in the Irish Independent as mentioned about health and um, body image and a bit piece about my dad so yeah and I just love it I absolutely love writing it's given me this huge interest and it's one of the things that actually energises me. I suppose there are so many people out there who have maybe, as you had, bits of notes on phones and, and notebooks and have had this great intention. The, there's a great scene, I think, in one of the a film with Billy Crystal where he has the typewriter. The, the night was and he spends all his time trying to get to the first line. And, and the advice I've heard so many times, just do it. And people are looking for people. People are looking for stories. They're looking for items. Sunday Mazzellany are always looking for people. The, a word in Edgeways, which is on Rising Time in the mornings, people are always looking. I know that Sheila, who produces that, is always looking for new voices and, and new pieces as well. Take a, take a risk and send it in. But we tend to put ourselves down about this kind of thing, though, don't we? Yeah, I think it's hard to to get past the first step. I suppose it, it, it felt really scary to send my work out into the world. I remember the first time I submitted a poem to a competition, I actually felt physically sick at the idea that somebody that I didn't know was going to read it. But to be honest with you, I think as, as you get older, you lose a lot of that fear. I, I definitely have. I, I don't really mind if people don't like my work. I, I don't do it for other people to like it it's a huge bonus if people like what you do and you're I think the thing the best thing to know is that you're never going to please everybody um I remember being at a writing workshop with Elizabeth Reapy who was the writer in residence in the libraries at the time and she said nine out of ten people mightn't get your work but one person will and that's all it takes and I've found I've you know with writing um the publishing the collection I've got loads of messages from people and different poems resonate and a lot of people have mentioned the article about my dad with about Alzheimer's because unfortunately loads of people are going through that kind of trauma themselves Do you mind me asking about your dad and I don't want to if you don't want to go there that's okay No absolutely what's not What's his name Tommy, Tommy Tommy Lynham so And where's my, Tommy Tommy's in Rohini from Rohini well, He was from Rohini he died Rahini. 15 years ago now um but Unfortunately, he got Alzheimer's disease and he had a, a wonderful life before that. Like he would have been the first to say he had a very, very enjoyable life. He was huge into sport. Um, he was the president of the Rohini Shamrocks Athletic Club oh, when yeah. he died. And he was just a great man, a gentleman, actually, at his funeral. That was the word that was most often used, gentleman. He had a love of Irish, which he passed on to me and Irish music. I remember listening to the Chieftains and the Dubliners on Sunday mornings, he'd put the records on. So he gave me that raw for music and for Irish. 
Um, but yeah, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's um, disease in his 70s. I mean, to be honest, when we look back, we realised that a lot of the, you know, a lot of the symptoms were there, but we didn't know them. So probably from the time he was 70, there were symptoms, but we sort of put it down to old age, hearing loss, things like that. Um, he died when he was 79. The last couple of years in particular were very hard, um, especially for my mom, Nora, who was minding him and who did an amazing job looking after him. But yeah, it was a very traumatic experience. I think when you're losing somebody in front of you, you know, you're grieving for somebody who's still alive, which is very difficult. So every time he would forget something, you're, you're kind of grieving the person that he was. I remember he turned around to me one day and asked me, did I have any sisters? You know, he didn't know that I was his daughter. And then I realized that there was all these memories of my childhood that were gone from him. Um, so, yeah, it was a very difficult time for us, I think, um, looking back. And I felt, I felt when I describe it, I describe it as being traumatic. It was a traumatic year, especially the last year. Um, but we got through it. And, yeah, I wanted to write about that because I know my mom found great solace at the time reading about other people's stories because you can feel very alone if you're a carer and that's caring for anybody. It doesn't have to be somebody. And she, she kept him at home as long as she could. Yeah, she did until actually about eight weeks before he died. And even he went into St. Isha's um, hospital for a few weeks and they were amazed that, that she had managed to keep him at home so long. But he deteriorated quite quickly once he went in there and then he ended up in Bowman Hospital for the last couple of weeks. Um, but it was a hugely distressing year for us in particular the last year because I had it in my head that people with Alzheimer's were kind of lost in their own thoughts and were happy in their own worlds. But it wasn't like that for him. Unfortunately, he was very distressed himself. I think he knew something terrible was going on, but couldn't really understand what it was. Yeah. Uh, Alzheimer's tends to be a catch all phrase, but actually everybody experiences it. And I have a little bit of experience. Everybody experiences it in a different way. And that is when some people can be very content and very happy yeah. and some people can be very distressed. So that, that's distressing for you. Did you find writing about it helped? It took me a long time to write about it, Shay, to be honest with you. I wrote a poem about it first and then actually Yvonne Hogan, who's the editor of the Living and Health section in the Irish Independent, saw it and asked would I write a longer piece about it. Um, and I was a little bit reluctant, but I talked to my mom to make sure she was happy about it and she was and, and she read the piece before it was published. It did help, but I cried a lot writing it. But I think getting messages from people who that the article helped them. I think the fact that I wrote so honestly about it. But I also was really keen and I wanted to make sure that I got a sense of my dad before the Alzheimer's in that article as well, because he did have a wonderful life. He was a beautiful person. Um, people loved him. Did the book you have, Traces, which is your, your self-published book. Yeah. Um, did you write anything? Is that piece in there? It is. Yeah. Do you have it handy or is it? I do. Yeah. Do you want to just give us a little flavour of it? Just sure. a couple of paragraphs, if you wouldn't yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, check the brochures of different language cultural institutes, loads of free subtitled films, etc., etc. Okay, so my darling dad. Every old man I see reminds me of my father when he had fallen in love with death. Patrick Kavanagh's words are to the forefront of my mind as I'm walking through St. Anne's Park in Rohini one May morning. Although my dad has been dead for over a decade, I'm hit by an unexpected wave of sadness after exchanging smiles with an elderly man out walking his dog. My dad, Tommy, died from Alzheimer's disease in July 2008. It took me a full year to recall any good memories, 
and several more years to fully come to terms with his illness and the manner in which he spent the final decade of his life. Whenever I try to describe that period of our family history, traumatic is the word that immediately springs to mind. His illness dominated every conversation for years with my mother, Nora, my sister, Barbara, my husband and my close friends. Yeah. That's, you know, that's emotional to hear. That's emotional to hear. Shay, can you ask Jackie where her book is on sale? She's so inspirational. I'm also a published Sunday miscellany writer, so I'd love to read her book. It says Teresa and Santry. So where oh, can they get the book? Thank you, Teresa. Yeah, so the book is on sale in Alan Hanna's bookshop. That's alanhannas.com or they have a shop in Rathmines. Also Books Upstairs and their website is booksupstairs.ie. Or if you can't get it there, you can send me a message on Twitter. I'm at Jackie Lynham. And it's also available in the libraries. Obviously, I'm a massive fan of the libraries <laughs> of because I've are. been working there of course you are. <laughs> most of my life. So, um, yeah, Dublin City Libraries, Wexford Libraries and Tipperary Libraries have bought copies. But the great thing about the public libraries, I'm sure most people know this at this stage, I'm always saying it, is that if you have a library card for any library in the country, you can reserve a book and it will be sent to your local library for you. So if you're not in Dublin, Tipperary or Wexford, you can still reserve a copy of Traces at your local library. Um, I want to talk to you about your own health as well but we'll take a little break and come back to you then Now you have a plan to take some time off in March why is that? Yeah so um, I've been suffering with IBS since I was 19 so over 30 years now and I've just you know it's it's come to a stage where my energy levels are very low um, I think it's an accumulation of being unwell for so long has just really come to a head and I sort of felt I was heading for a bit of a physical burnout so, so I So for people who don't know what IBS mm-hmm. is I'm sure everybody does and, and people are probably suffering from it and don't know they're suffering from it can you just give us a little outline of what IBS yeah, stands, so stands IB- for? IBS is irritable bowel syndrome so I think about one in five people suffer with IBS. It's very common. People have it to varying degrees. Some people will get flare-ups and then they'll have times when they feel fine. I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a bowel syndrome, so it could be bloating, pain, diarrhoea, constipation. There's different, um, different symptoms for it. Everybody has different symptoms and everybody has a different way of... You know, some people will get respite from medicine or change in diets. Um, it is a lifelong condition. And there isn't really a cure for it. There's a, you can manage it. Um, so I've been through all sorts of remedies, gone through, you know, medical, um, you know, scans, tests, medical procedures, every diet you can think of. Well, people are very well-meaning. And I can imagine now in the next few minutes we're going to receive 50 to 100 texts with yeah. various um, remedies and various treatments. You, you safely say you've tried everything. Yeah, and actually I wrote a piece about it for the Independent and it's it's interest as well. And when I wrote that, I kind of was trying to come to terms with having a chronic illness. It's a very difficult thing when you're sick all the time. Um, I haven't had one full well day in over 30 years. Sorry, when you say you haven't had one full... So every single day I have IBS. So for me, it's it's going in and out of the bathroom in the morning. So for me to be here this morning, um, I left the house at 10 to 8. I set my alarm for half four. I got up at five o'clock. So that would be a very typical day for me. I need to leave two and a half to three hours in my morning before I leave the house. So without being too personal, you have mm-hmm. a number of trips to do to the bathroom yeah. before you leave to be... Oh, reasonably okay. Yeah, once I'm once that morning is gone, I'm usually fine for the day. But I think what's happened now is that the energy levels are really affected by it. So 
I calculated yesterday, um, 30 years of it is over 11,000 mornings without a break. Do you remember when it started? Yeah, I was 19. I was absolutely fine. I went over to Germany with a friend of mine for the summer, my really good friend, Julie. And it just started. The symptoms started that summer. Um, diarrhea, cramps, bloating, pain. Continued on for the summer. When I came back, my mom brought me to the GP who referred me to a consultant in the matter. Did all the usual tests, uh, colonoscopy and endoscopy. Um, put me on some Culpramin, which is peppermint tablets and fibre gel. That didn't work. And then at that point, I sort of started all the alternative remedies. I went to get, you know, this intolerance test was starting to become known at that time. Went to see a man in the city centre who, you know, I saw him giving a talk and he was talking about these blood tests where they could identify foods that you're intolerant to. And it seemed like this was going to be the solution for me. And I did the test and got a list of uh, foods and went off them for three months and went back to him and there was no improvement. And he said, oh, unfortunately, you're one of the 10% that it doesn't work for. So this sort of continued for years and years. I would try, I've tried everything, Shay. I've tried every version of elimination diet. I've been tested for celiac disease. I'm on a low FODMAP, low fibre diet at the moment. I went back after that article was published, as you say, I got loads of suggestions for new things to try. And a friend of mine um, told me about a thing called SIBO, which I hadn't heard of, which is small intestine bacterial overload. And the symptoms are very similar to IBS. And I thought, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe I'm going to get the answer. And I tested positive for it. I found somewhere that tested. And I had to go back then to my consultant and she treated it and it didn't work. It just, as in, it didn't help the symptoms. How do you, how do you deal with that disappointment? Because you, you built them and anybody who's been sick or, or We'll, we'll, when they find that there might be a cure, you get very excited about it and you wait for it to work and, and it, hopefully it works. Well, how do you deal with the fact that it's, it hasn't worked? Um, I think at this stage, I sort of know there's probably not going to be a solution, but you do let hope sneak in. So I went after that treatment didn't work. The consultant's great and she said, look, we'll try other things. And she sent me for specialised blood tests and a camera capsule test and I went back in August to get the results of all them and unfortunately what happened was the more tests you do something else shows up so all a few different things showed up nothing to do with the IBS that will need to be monitored but she can't find a physical solution for this um, and to be honest with you even though I sort of knew she was going to say that I left the hospital devastated because I thought okay well I'm almost 50 and I've had this since I was 19 and I'm probably going to have it every day until I die so this is why I'm taking some time off. I need to kind of get my head around this and I need to take some time to rest. I'm exhausted. I'm absolutely exhausted. But in those 30 years, you've, you've lived your life, you've travelled, yeah. you've got married, you've had three children, you have a career and you've managed all of that while needing to plan three hours before you leave the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look, to be honest with you, there's people that are far worse off than me. I consider myself... It's a very Irish thing to say, isn't it? Well, it's true. I, I know mean, it's true. It's know absolutely it's true, true. There's people with chronic illnesses that can't leave their house and there's people with terminal illnesses that would love to be in my position yeah. and have, you know, years ahead of them. So, and I've got a wonderful life. I honestly do. I've got an amazing husband who is my rock, Brian, and just... You know, the days I feel like crying, he makes me laugh and we have a, we have great fun together. You know, it's all it's not all doom and gloom. And I hope I wouldn't I don't want to give that impression at no, all. And in fairness, you're not giving that impression. Yeah, no, but I have I'm a, just listening to what you're I saying. I have a great life. I have great friends and great sister and mom. And, you know, I suppose you just keep going as much as you can. And, you know, for a lot of the part of the day, I do feel well. And if you met me, you wouldn't think I was sick. I look fine. You know, I don't look like I'm sick. No, you look fab. No, yeah, no, really, yeah. I love the earrings, the whole lot. Everything is, 
<laughs> You're looking good. Thank you. Looking better than I am. I'm in bits. <laughs> um, but it is exhausting. And I am, yeah. I suppose at this point, because it's going on so long, I think I'm emotionally and physically exhausted. So to go back to your original question, that's why I'm taking some time off. I want, I feel that I can do chronic illness and work or chronic illness and family. And at the moment, I need to concentrate on my health and my family. So I'm, t- I'm very lucky that I work for Dumb City Council and I'm able to take some time off. I'm able to get some parental leave and it's, it's unpaid leave. So that's obviously going to be, a, you know, a bit of a challenge. But I absolutely have to do it if I'm going to keep going. I have a friend who has IBS and when they had their children, they found it tenfold, it got worse, ten time, tenfold worse. Um, you had three children. <laughs> How was it during pregnancy? It was really difficult during pregnancy. There were times when I lay on my bathroom floor crying. And I remember reading a couple of years after that, that Kelsey Grammer's um, wife had used a surrogate because oh, she had IBS. Yeah. I think it was the first time I realised that actually this is not an insignificant thing because you sort of play it down. And I suppose, look, you know, women just get on with things, don't you? You just get on with things. And I'm really lucky that I was able to have children and, you know, I was able to get pregnant and I was able to carry those children and have them. And I don't take that for granted, but it was really difficult. Yeah, the pregnancy were different. And also when they were very small, because if you can imagine trying to look after children I, as you're running in there to the bathroom. I was kind of alluding to try and look to, look to look after children when you have a hangover. When you have a condition like you have an IBS, chronic IBS, which is a chronic condition, then I don't, I don't imagine how you, how you you did it, but you did it. I did it. But and I, you're still doing it, I'd imagine. Yeah, still doing it. And of course it has an impact, it has a negative impact on your family life and your children and your husband, you know, of course it That's does. Your, your personal life. I mean, it's not, it's not easy. Well, I thought we were just going to talk about 50 things to do. <laughs> Sorry about that, brought the tone there. Still looking for no, exciting things to do you this did. year to cheer well, me send, up. <laughs> well, you've said that people are sending them in to, and we'll pass them on to you. Just to remind us where we can get your book. Yeah, so Trace, it's called Traces, Poems and Essays. And my name is Jackie Lynham and it's available in Alan Hannah's um, bookshop. So alanhannahs.com or booksupstairs.ie or you can get it in your local library. It's lovely to meet you. Lovely Thanks. to talk to you. Really enjoyed it. How's mum doing? She's good. Good. Yeah. We'll send her our, our regards and to the three embarrassed children who hear that you're on the radio today. Ah, oh, they won't even listen, I'd say. <laughs> they're all in they're school, they're school, working college. They're all fine. We're going to play a little track. This is from Villagers, Dawning on Me. Jackie, thanks so much. Thanks, Shay.